things off for us, Hank. What happened to you at the cinema this week? Okay, I'm peeved. Uh, Craig and I talked about this, uh, I don't know, probably a month ago, about our, some of our theater pet peeves, right? So went to uh, the Edmonton, took, uh, took my kids, a little uh, dad of the year trip, right? Aww. Went to see the Wild Kratts live. Right? And now before the show, I filled everybody in because nobody knows who the Wild Kratts are, but the Krat Brothers, it was amazing. Now, me, now we know. Now me we know. and 5,000 of my closest childhood friends are there. Like, oh my <laughs> goodness. So we go to the mall, the flagship theater, uh, the Cineplex Odeon, whatever it is, Silver City or something in the mall. Hasn't been updated in years. Uh, they hadn't cleaned it all day. Filth everywhere. The seats are all broken. Uh, sells out for this abominable movie that I took the kids to see. Every pet peeve known to man is in that theater. Every adult was on their phone. There's people talking, people actually answering their phones, kids running up and down, people throwing food everywhere. It was it was bad enough that my 10-year-old daughter leaned over and said, uh, Dad, everybody's being disrespectful to us in the theater. <laughs> I went, thank you, they are. So we've got all that going on, but then we go to the Wildcrats, which is in this uh, beautiful auditorium, the Jubilee something rather auditorium. They're beautiful. About 5,000 kids, about 1,000 thousand adults were near the back so I can see everybody. Not one phone came out. Not one child running around. Nobody talking when they shouldn't be. Not one in this entire theater. So the question is, what is the disconnect between that and then going to a movie where everybody's just like, ah, it's my living room and I don't care. And I'm just going to act like the rudest people known to man. Why? Number one, you sound really old right now. <laughs> Not as old as you, bro. <laughs> Big T's uh, old. Number two, I agree. There's nothing worse than going to the movies in the cinema, and that's why I stick to the adult-only theaters. Okay, I'm assuming that this like theatrical production mm. that you went to probably had a pretty good price tag on it. You know, it wasn't that bad. It was about, uh, I think, 20 bucks for the kids and like 30 bucks for the adults. Okay, so not much more than a Really, film. If, if you add popcorn and drinks in there, it was almost comparable. Almost comparable mm. to the theater. What do you think that maybe the surroundings, like when you go into a space that is obviously well cared for and respected, Ooh. then then maybe you you unconsciously respond to that rather than you kind of go into a, a dumpster fire and it's like that, well what, it doesn't a dumpster matter. Dumpster fire. That's what it was. And I every movie now there's more and more people that just can't handle it, and I don't get it. You're gonna pay all that money and then just. Not watch the show and talk to everybody? I, I don't get it. I don't get it either. It makes me very angry. It could be that some theaters almost have that reputation. You know, like some theaters that might be like the neighborhood theater that people just go to and half ignore the movie. That almost sounds like your Edmonton experience, mm -hmm. even though it sounds like it was more of a major league type of theater. So, but maybe some rooms just have that vibe or culture to it, which to me wouldn't make sense because you're going out to see a movie. That's the point of going. Um, at the same time, though, I think that there are certain cinemas, like I think the, the, the maybe the cheaper cinemas that you go to, I think you kind of maybe expect that more uh, because people are paying less money, so it's kind of they don't really think much about it. But I do feel that the more money you pay for something, usually you'll expect people to act accordingly right. to that. So you're dishing out all that cash. Yep. For what? I, I don't know. Craig, uh, I talked to him the other day, and his idea was that because everybody is in front of screens all the time now, that it's not a big deal when you go to the movie and you see something on the screen so you feels like you're at home well what's the big deal you know i look at things on my phone i look at things on the ipad the tv at home and there's just screens everywhere and now it's not a full experience anymore it's just uh, i guess we'll get out of the house or in the mall anyway so we might as well see this movie and who cares let's talk the whole time i don't know infuriating 
I kind of wonder sometimes if you're going to meet somebody uh, at a theater and go to a th- go to a movie for the first time, or are you like weary and you're like, do you go to their houses first and make sure they don't talk during that's movies in general? That is a good that's, idea. Because uh, there's nothing worse than going out with someone for the first time and, and, they, they're and they find out they're a talker. Oh. So you have to do a pre-movie screening yes. date before the first date? Is yeah. that what you're saying? You take people to your house, you all hang out together, and you find out who the talker is. And then you know never to go. Mm-hmm. That's a really good idea. And especially if you have kids and they want to bring their friends, get them to come over to the house and watch a movie first. That happened to me. Well, yeah, one of my daughter's exactly. friends talked to the whole time. I'm like, I'm not on my watch. Get out. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I like the way you keep saying not on my watch because you are watching. I'm watching. <laughs> You're watching. All, the All the time. Literally. Watching. Okay. Well, um, we... So we don't have a solution. Is we, what we, we just don't. Answered. We don't have a solution to this problem. Um, yeah. We'll just put that out there into the universe. People, people be better. please be better. behave yourselves. I just want to say one more thing. So if someone is rude and talking or a cell phone, do you say anything to them or just let it go? Um, so far, I have been able to let it go, but uh, some people that I go to movies with can't, so there's a little bit of that. Too. I never let it go. I'm always very polite, and I'll say, excuse me, you're interrupting my movie pleasure. Yeah. That's all you have to say, movie pleasure, and then usually they get it, and if they don't get it, you throw ice at them. Ice. Hmm. Not, not no. popcorn. Popcorn doesn't hurt. Ice, you can get a really good mark with ice. Ice. Nobody's going to ruin your Star Wars experience. Nope. <clears throat> Not at all. Okay, no solution. Well, right. we'll we'll move on for the time well, let's being. Let's revisit that in a year. We, I'm sure in a few weeks we or will get part <laughs> three. We'll be here again. It, we will be here again very very soon. Okay. Um, well, let's hear what um, Craig has to say about El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie. I saw it and I loved it. Thanks, Jody. Craig Silliphant here. You can follow me on social media at Craig Silliphant. I want to talk today about El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. For those of us who wanted to take another dive into the Breaking Bad universe, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie is quite satisfying, I think, for the most part. Is it breaking new ground? No. Does it need to? No. In fact, it feels less like a movie than it does like an extended episode, and it feels less like a sequel to the series than it does a coda to the original story. None of that is a bad thing. In fact, if you want something new and different, go check out Better Call Saul, which takes the material in very different directions. And Before we get into El Camino, let's spend a second on the two shows. Breaking Bad is considered by many to be the best show that's ever graced TV screens, but not by me. While I think it's up there for sure, there are several shows I'd put above it, The Wire, Sopranos, stuff like that. In fact, Breaking Bad didn't really hold up for me well upon a rewatch because the excitement, a lot of it's predicated on the twists and turns, and once you know those, it felt a bit like going through the motions. I would actually put my neck on the line and say Better Call Saul is the superior show. Now, I suppose it depends what you look for in a show, but in terms of the writing and rewatchability, Saul has my money. A lot of the Breaking Bad fans I've encountered uh, don't even like the show. They gave up on it early simply because it's such a different animal. It's uh, more character-driven. It doesn't have a lot of the violence and action they craved. I think that's a bit goofy, but, you know, to each their own. And really, we're comparing degrees of super awesomeness here. El Camino has more in common with Breaking Bad, and it's fun to slide back into that world. It moves back and forth through time, telling the story of Jesse Pinkman in the days that follow his escape from the white supremacist compound where he was being held in a cage and forced to cook meth. While he tries to find freedom and redemption, he flashes back in time, mostly to the period that he was in captivity. In my review of It Chapter 2, which you can find on thefeedbacksociety.com, I criticize 
criticized the film for adding flashback scenes, giving us information that we hadn't seen before but would have been crucial the first time around, which sort of rendered Chapter 1 pointless, or at least sloppy. But the opposite is true in El Camino. These flashbacks don't change the scope of the overall story. They just flesh out pieces we already knew or things that are pertinent to where Jesse is now, both physically and emotionally. Vince Gilligan is a great writer, and all this sells Jesse's PTSD and the redemption arc of El Camino. As I said, El Camino doesn't feel like a stereotypical movie. However, it retains the same stylishly shot on a TV budget look that made the show stand out. It wouldn't be a bad thing going from a TV look to a movie look as they did with something like, say, The X-Files, but I do like that there's a consistency with the series for this coda. And there are some very clever visuals in El Camino, like the shot from above of many Jessies searching Todd's apartment, illustrating the great lengths he's going to in tearing the place apart. All in all, I gotta say I loved El Camino. It had the same wonderful dark humor of the show, the bits about Todd's cleaning lady and what a weird psychopath Todd is had me in stitches, and there are the tense, thrilling moments you'd expect from Breaking Bad, as well as depth and character, and we should point out uh, Aaron Paul more than holds his own, uh, and we get a sense of how he's taken this character from an inexperienced punk teenager to a man who has seen more than most, learned strategy from Walter White, and uses it all to stay alive. I should also mention it was awesome to see Robert Forster in his last role. Uh, he brought everything this character needed to be successful with a short amount of screen time. Anyway, uh, my recommendation is firmly on El Camino, Breaking Bad. Check it out on Netflix. So, let's talk about collecting and talk about stuff. Stuff is heavy. I mean, literally heavy, and it accumulates. And um, yeah, as a collector, I mean, you want to be a completionist as much as possible, and you want to have your awesome collection. And uh, a few things have happened to me personally in the last week that really brought this to the fore. And uh, so there, there's a couple of things. So, first of all, in the room here, we have Tony, the collector, who collects everything and doesn't really display anything keeps everything in the box locks it up in in, box. in in a in a storage unit and doesn't really have a chance to appreciate it and then last night we tony and i actually went over to a friend of ours jay who has a strawberry shortcake collection which is mind-blowing he's been collecting this stuff all his life he has more than he can fit but he has dedicated a room in his condo to just strawberry shortcake so it's like every inch of space is strawberry shortcake it's stunning like you actually it takes your breath away when you walk in and it's a pleasure to be in the room like there's so much love in the room and like if you had a collection that would be awesome because you would can just like be able to see that on punch tv you will be able to see that on punch tv on Hank. Shaw spotlight in saskatoon next oh, okay, month cool. yeah. yes um it is going to be our november episode so you know it's really awesome now i'm kind of between the two i have a lot of stuff that i just have in storage but i do have a room that i kind of devote to my comics and some of my toy paraphernalia and i do like to be in that room i like to go and sit in there and read comics and just sort of take it all in and it's sort of my little sanctuary it's pretty awesome is it what i want it to be no would i have to pretty much devote my entire home to it yes I would but I mean it's so much stuff it really is and it, it gets to a point where you're questioning your decisions and like what parameters you want to put on your collecting because you can't collect everything you can't have a collection of collections that's just like a bad box so um, Hank you are quite a prolific art collector I you have art and i collect bass guitars okay so you have way more than you could ever, ever display at once so how do you deal with that i 
Well, the way that I deal with it now is just in terms of displaying it. Every room in our house uh, has uh, art bars on every wall. Um, I change the art in the house about every two weeks. Um, so every time people come, they're like, wow, it looks so new in here and brand new all the time. That way I can get to see it all at work. Uh, I've probably got 100 pieces on the walls uh, up there. But it's it'll never stop. And now with I'll just see stuff online now too. I'm like, oh, well, that looks really cool. I got to get that. And every art show I go to, I have to buy something. And and being an owner of an art gallery for a while, um, like I, I have so much art, uh, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of art. But you have a strategy. You rotate. I do. I do have a strategy. But now I've got a storage issue where I've kind of run out of room in the house. So you let me know when you have an empty wall. I'll bring stuff over. Okay, would you ever consider selling some of your collection? Yes. Um, I have sold stuff before, but I never buy something with intention to sell it. To ever go, oh, this is going to increase. Right. And I'm going to sell it. No, I just buy it because I like it. Yeah, ditto. I, I never buy anything with, with the intention of selling it. Um, sometimes I'll buy doubles in case, like, maybe I'll meet somebody who has the same niche that I do and we can trade, possibly. Um, but for the most part, I'm, I pretty much just try to keep it to, to one. Unlike the collector how many of things do you quite often buy well it depends on what it is i'm you know i like to buy things and collect um you know the whole run of things i like to do that so it's hard these days with the star wars stuff because there's so much of it but um yeah there's i'll buy doubles of things if i feel like that could be something in the future that i could maybe sell Maybe. You'll never Maybe sell. sell it. You'll never sell it. Well, eventually I'm going to have to sell stuff. You can't, you know, someone will anyways. When I die, someone will have to sell it. So maybe they'll make some money off it. That's true. Okay. So <laughs> now, now you take it to another level because you, you don't actually house your collection in your home. You have a, a, a an off-site place that you like have to i'm assuming no, pay rent no, no, or insurance no or? no we we don't have that we um <laughs> everything i have is in my house okay right now. sure we'll go with that everything i have uh i have a lot of stuff but at the same time uh i do have a lot of stuff that's actually out um uh there's a lot of lego that we have out i actually have a lot of figures that are out a lot of loose figures that are out um i don't have the space to display everything uh, but I do enjoy buying um, older stuff from the 70s and 80s that, you know, that I can display. There's a lot of stuff that I have that uh, that is, you know, worth a bit of money that I do also have in the house that's also uh, easy to get at and I show people when they come over. Okay. So when we went over to Jay's house last night, were you inspired to maybe start taking some stuff out and putting it on display? No, I think Jay's a different kind of collector. I, there's obviously people collect things for certain reasons. Jay's like an awesome collector. He is a, I'll show you my collection. He's not there. Um, he's definitely not in it to, to make money off it. He's definitely not in it to, um, to do anything other than to show people what he has. And even though I don't, I don't think he has a lot of people over, but when he does display it, it makes him feel good. And I think he likes looking at it and it makes him feel good. I don't have that same feeling towards having stuff on display. I like having things. Um, I like looking through boxes and seeing what I have, and it gives me a real sense of the past. Uh, so there's many times I will go through boxes of stuff, and I do have really good feelings about things I bought in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And, and even like uh, last year, uh, a lot of memories come into uh, my buying, and there's always kind of stories that go into what I buy and when I buy them. So for you, it's enough to just have it. You don't need to see it, and you don't need to share it. No, I don't need to share it. I definitely don't share it, and I definitely don't like uh, uh, show it off, no. So yeah, just having it is enough. 
Definitely enough, yeah. Okay. Brennan, now we were talking earlier, you have currently just a little storage unit because you've been in moving and stuff like that. Yes. Um, but that's an extra expense that a person has to incur. So if you have a big collection of something that you're storing, then like that adds up. It, it does. And as someone who like, I, I love to collect my comics, I love to collect my books, and then I have my smattering of, of figures and toys that I've collected. And at one point I thought I have too much, it's, I can't curate it, and I never had it organized. And then, and this might sound odd, I was watching Intervention, <laughs> and they had like the hoarding episodes, <laughs> but they had ones for collectors, like specific collector episodes. And I was watching that thinking, okay, I'm not there yet, so that's good. But the biggest takeaway I had, the big advice they'd always say is that whatever you have needs to be either um, on display or stored properly. That, that's, that's your two main points. And if it's not one, either one of those, you need to get rid of it. And so in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I have all this cool stuff. I should start displaying it because same thing, I like it. Um, so that's been my, my go-to. And I have my storage unit and my goal by hopefully the end of December is that it will be empty because it'll force me to be, okay, what am I actually, what's worth keeping and what, what isn't? Like I have a lot of books. I'll go through trends where I really want a book on one subject and I've never read them. And I might have a dozen books on Russian history and the KGB. Are they cool? They're awesome. I've never read them and I've had them for <laughs> many, many years. So I need to decide, are they worth keeping? So I'm very much in between where I want to display it, but I also understand finally that maybe I can't keep everything. Right. I think that's a healthy place to be, actually. Um, so another thing that just recently happened to me, uh, a very close friend of mine, um, she has divorced parents who have always had their separate homes and she's had to relocate them both at the same time. One house, very neat as a pin. It's the house she grew up with. And so like a lot of her toys and things like that, she had to make some hard decisions very quickly about what she was going to keep and what she wasn't going to keep, what was important, what was you know nostalgic, what maybe could be sold. Um, on the flip side of that was the other house where it was essentially a hoarding situation and it was dumpster after dumpster after dumpster of just clearing the house and just throwing things away on a mass uh, experience. I've never really gone through something quite like that before. And you kind of do get a, a new appreciation of like, oh, no, 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 that's still good. That's, But there's 40 of them. And where do they go? And what do you do with it? Like, eventually, it's just weight. It's just volume. It's just nothing. So it's got to go. So it, Emotional and physical weight, stuff. right? It's just stuff, right? So it's like, how important is it to you personally? What is the emotional attachment? I guess to go back to that, you know, trend of the, does it spark joy? And if it does, then I guess you should keep it. But if it doesn't, like it is just stuff. Just stuff. And with, it, with memories too, if you think, oh, but this was my grandmother's or my grandfather's. But I know for a fact, I have a lot of my grandfather's things. If I kept the one coat I remember him wearing or the uh, lighter he got from the CN, that would actually be enough. I don't need all the rest of it. And so sometimes it's being a bit more critical about, yeah, why am I holding on to it? And if I just have one or two things that are memorable, then that's probably fine. Yeah, and I, I think I'm at the point too, I was discussing this with, um, like I love vintage clothes and I have a lot in my closet that I will never wear again, but are just like one of a kind pieces that are really amazing. I could probably figure out a way to like, have some kind of photo shoot with like actually have models that fit the clothes because I don't anymore and like take a good picture of it and just have that 
digitally and not actually have a thing and then get rid of the actual clothing items and maybe pass them on to somebody who can like wear them and enjoy them and because i mean clothes should be worn they're not meant to be just hanging in a closet lonely um and they're really cool pieces so yeah i think i i I think i'm at the place in my in my life now that i can probably make that step so does anybody here feel that they're a hoarder rather than a collector not yet. Not anymore. <laughs> the answer is not anymore. <laughs> because because you got rid of things? Or? I used to collect Scooby-Doo uh, stuff, and that oh. got a little, uh, spending a little too much of my disposable income on that. Um, so I curbed that, and I've actually sold most of it now. I have about, I think, only four really cool um, retro Scooby-Doo things left, and the rest is all gone. All so gone. you were able to like cut that cord cool, yeah. and, and move on from yeah. Scooby-Doo? Yeah, because it was just a bunch of crap. It was just stuff or stuff. Anything that is, and then people find out, and then every birthday, every Christmas, mm. here's Scooby Doo stuff. Oh wow, thank you. To, uh. yeah. I'd pay money if someone started giving me Star Wars stuff for Christmas. Yeah, but you already days. have it. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, I'm both. Like, I think when it comes to my collection, like I've I really put a lot of good parameters on myself in the last couple of years and limited myself to just like a few artists that like I have to have everything, um, and then everything else can go. I don't have to have the rest. So I I feel pretty comfortable with like my comics and my toys that I kind of have I can get my arms around it but when it comes to things like craft supplies and tools and stuff because I'm a maker like I like to cook I like to build I like to craft um, and I can't let go I have a real problem there and uh, going through this weekend and seeing where that can take me I have a new appreciation for um, that it's time to just let go and like chances are I'm probably not going to do a lot of knitting, crocheting, embroidery, stained glass, uh, you know, whatever it is. Probably those things can get passed on to hands that could use them. So you had like a real uh, event, a life-changing event. It's like this an weekend. epiphany. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, n- not really. I mean, it's been a long time coming and I've been working towards it, but like actually seeing it firsthand and seeing how like it, it affects the family, like the, the people who come in the wake of having to clean it up like if I got hit by a bus outside and Dave had to like go through all my stuff like I am so sorry I would (laughs) like I would not inflict that on anyone like that is just not fair so yeah things need to go and I need to make some pretty big changes and as long as there's a system for it, and again, with me too, it was, I thought, oh, I have too much, I can't keep it organized. And then I thought, but if I can't keep it organized, then I shouldn't have it. So now that I'm physically making myself organize it, I'm like, wow, this looks really cool. And I can actually put things out and enjoy it in a way, in a better way. But now if I do buy something, my first thought is before I buy it, do I have a spot for it? And if it's no, then I have to really think, do I want it? And if I do, what am I getting rid of? Yeah. Nice. That's really awesome. Good. Yeah. I think this has been a a good conversation. I feel enlightened. I do too. I feel unburdened. I feel like going to get rid of more stuff. I know. Do you? I do. Really good. Awesome. Uh, um, The uh, Nutana Super Duper Flea Market is on November 9th, I believe, and I have applied for a table to get Sweet. rid of some things. So, so we'll bring s- your things to Jody's table. <laughs> at, and she'll only take 60% commission. Yeah. No, bring your That's money to my table oh. and take the things away. No. That'll be much better. Okay. Well, we actually have time to talk about some comics. Um, you've got a pretty good stack there, Brennan, and I, I see some things that I read too. So um, start with Marked. Okay. So speaking of getting rid of things, these are the comics I bought yesterday. Yeah. Um, Accumulation. The, the first one I got was the Marked. Um, it is written by David Hine and Brian Haberlin, art by Brian Haberlin. And it follows a group of uh, magicians 
for lack of a better term, that can control uh, a glyph, which is tattooed onto them, and it gives them powers, and they can do really cool things. Um, the artwork, at, it's, it's that more digital kind of look, mm-hmm. which um, sometimes I'm on and off with. At, at first, I was quite struck by it. I thought it was, it, it was quite good. Um, as the story goes on, I feel like, okay, I find the characters interesting. I find the idea interesting. I think there's a lot going on there, but they sort of packed so much in this first issue that by the time I got to it, you meet so many people and know so much that um, I'm, I'm a little bit lost on who I should be kind of rooting for. I, I agree with that. Um, I like the idea that, you know, these tattoos have like these magical powers and that you can uh, adapt them to make them even more powerful with science. So magic and science working together. Um, will I read it ongoing? I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to be adding this one to my poll list because it's already like too big because I have a problem with that. Um, but uh, it, it's good. It's interesting. And uh, even though it is digital art, it is, uh, I, I, they didn't cheap out on the backgrounds, no, which digital art usually does so it was actually pretty good yeah even if the main character sort of felt like the end of this issue could have been her discovering she has this and we don't know anything we know she likes art and she likes coffee and then also we meet a whole bunch of other people yeah it delves in very quick it's very quick okay what else is in the pile there i'll fit in on that because i also love art and coffee i'm down there you go superman smashes the clan which sounds like a comedy comic but it's not um this is written by gene luen yang and giri hiru and it's actually based on a 1946 Superman serial. It was a 12 to 14 part where he basically defeats the Ku Klux Klan. So it's a modern a- adaptation of that. Um, it's very much placed in the 40s. So Superman has the dark S on his chest. He can't mm. fly yet. He can run really fast. He can jump. He has super strength. Um, the writing is, is excellent. Um, it is geared for a younger audience. That was sort of the idea of it. So to me, it had a tone kind of like... Um, uh, like lumberjanes or something like that. Sure. So smart writing um, that is, yeah, it's well written. They uh, sometimes a little bit of explaining, like, oh, by the way, this is what's going on. What I like, though, there's this family who is being targeted by the Ku Klux Klan, but everyone in the comic has their own biases. And there's, you know, so even the people that are being victimized, when the police officer comes who happens to be African-American, he doesn't want his help until he realizes he's an officer. So everyone has their own sort of little levels of racism. And, and not really a spoiler alert, but we meet the person who's part of this Ku Klux Klan group has things in common with the kids that he is part of terrorizing. Does that okay. make sense? That does. So, so you see these commonalities through the kids that they have some of the same interests, but they're being directed by their parents. So okay. it's a neat, cool read. Awesome. Um, That is all the time we have. So those are two uh, things that you might want to check out this week on your comic list. All right. That's it for another episode of Punch. (laughs)